guys, um, I'm excited for what I want to share this morning. Um, I'm going to be preaching this morning on um, the nature of God. And kind of when, um, when I preach, it's kind of like an artist coming and presenting something very intimate that they've drawn. And it's, it's quite, it can be quite vulnerable to preach um, um, actually your innermost thoughts. But um, what I want to share this morning is is um, what I really believe and what I really feel and and I feel like it's going to bless us and um, it's certainly it's certainly been a journey getting to this place and um, I really hope that each one of you is on a personal journey of your gospel evolving in your own life I think it's a very sad thing if you believe what you believed a year ago two years ago three years ago if we still have the same framework on God, if we're still saying the same thing about Him, there's a good chance you've got stuck in more of a fundamentalism where your certainties have actually trapped you in out of a place of fear more than actually an evolving gospel where God is becoming bigger and bigger and He's shattering some of the mindsets you had. And... Um, I just wrote you, the nature of revelation is that what I once believed was actually wrong. When revelation comes, it actually says to you what you once believed was wrong. Which means that what I currently could be believing is wrong. And it needs to change. So, Paul prayed for the spirit of revelation to come. And to bring change. So, I really pray that as I, as I, as I preach this morning, as I, I've got a little video... That God would bring revelation to our minds. Um, the nature of God. Could there, can there be more a more important question in our lives to answer? What is, what is God like? What is He really like? Um, we've got our own ideas and it's changing. But <clears throat> there's, not, there's not a bigger, more important question than we can answer. What is God actually like? And um, I feel like... Um, what we believe is so crucial because it's the little climates that we carry around in our lives. The little, little climates around our own heads as we walk around. What we believe frames up the reality that we live in. Um, it's like the little house you live in is framed by the realities of what you believe. So it is really important what you believe. If you've got a really tiny gospel and a really tiny understanding, that's your cramped little bonsai house you're living in. But if we start to have expansive thoughts and bigger thoughts of God, is that's the actual climate and space we're living in. And um, reading Exodus 33, um, Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Isn't that amazing that God's glory is connected to His goodness? Yeah. And um, we're going to have a glory deficiency in our life. And in the church, if we don't fully have a revelation of the goodness of God and His true nature, there'll be a glory deficiency. And a, and a, a glory deficiency is actually your daily encounter, your daily experience of God is His glory. It's His glory in your life. It's not His glory, but it's, it's His glory in your life. The same way we'll dwell in His house. It's, it's, the, it's the sense of who He is. It's... Um, it's his nature permeating you. That's that's um, that's to um, know his glory, and um, that's why for me it's so important what we believe. 
it's so important what we believe. So there's a few things I'm going to share now on who I believe God is. And um, I'm hoping that it can reframe some of our reality. So I'm going to leave it up there while I talk. This took me a very long time to, to come to this understanding in my life. Um, and it's very profound. Just, just let it sit up there and dwell on it. Um, 1 John 4, uh, John says, God is love. And um, John wrote this after being the, one, the, the disciple who Jesus loved, after many years of having walked as a believer. And then he pens his letter towards the end. Ah. Keep it unlocked. Alright. Ah, crap. <laughs> um, he, pens, he pens this letter at the very end of his life. And it was almost like the conclusion of his, of his journey. The evolving of his personal gospel. And he was able to say, God is love. And um, I just want to share what this is saying here. Is that... Um, God is in essence love and his attributes flow out of his essence. Do you understand understand that? Okay, rather than him being love and then him being something else which can contradict his essence. But I just want to make sure that we see this quite clearly that it's in his essence is is love and everything flows through that. And um, I I I really love this quote and I believe that John was actually starting to be what I would define as a mystic. And um, this is a quote by Brian Zahn. He says, The mystics always seem to move in the direction of a more generous inclusion, a deeper appreciation for mystery, and the primacy of love. And I think as our, as our gospel evolves and as we progress to understanding of God, we start to see that His very essence in love and anything that flows out of Him is love. So, we can, um, we can understand that um, God is love, Infinite love plus nothing. Every asset, every facet is a facet. Every attribute is a facet of the one nature. Okay, this is my point. I'm trying to get through here. Okay, just getting my point through. George MacDonald, well-known preacher from a long time ago, said this, which, which, which can challenge our thinking on this. He does nothing as a judge he would not do as a father. Just want to throw that out there. He would do nothing as a judge he would not do as a father. There's not a contradiction between his love and his judgment, his love and his righteousness, his love and his holiness. They flow through his love. All right. So I just want to just want to put that nice and clear for us as we're moving on here. Ephesians three says, um, Paul says that we need to be reinforced just to contemplate the love of God. How wide, how wide, how high, how deep it is. It's like a, a steel reinforcement in a building. Building actually has to be reinforced just to hold it up the revelation of His love. So as we try and uh, contemplate God's love, we need to be reinforced with steel to be held up to, to understand it. Um, <clears throat> this really challenges our thinking. So that's my first thing I want to communicate this morning. God is love in His essence. <clears throat> the second thing that I want us to... to to look at is, is Jesus. Jesus perfectly shows us the Father. Um, I read some scripture that, that points to this. John 8, 9. Where is your Father? They asked him. You do not know me or my Father, Jesus answered. If you knew me, you would know my Father as well. 
John 12, 45. And whoever sees me, sees the one who sent me. Colossians 1, 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 1, 11. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. It's almost like on a laptop when your little icon's at the bottom and you press it and it opens up onto your screen. Jesus is the icon of the Father. So when we press on him, it brings into full view who the Father is. So if we've got questions about who the Father is, we can press on the icon Jesus and it will open up who the Father is. That's really good news because when we've got questions about who God is, we can press on to Jesus and it will open up a revelation of the Father. 1 John 5.20 And we know that the Son has come and has given us understanding so that we might know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. Right, this is really good news um, when we try to discover who is, what is God like and what is His nature. We can look to Jesus and see all His actions, everything He said, and get a full understanding. Um, Alright, I'm going to... Don't lynch me for what I'm going to say now. Um, I'm always getting on about this. I love the Bible. I love the Scriptures. But the beauty of the Scriptures is they reveal Jesus. That's the beauty of the book. The book, reveal, the book is the all. The God is inside the all. The Bible reveals Jesus. So C.S. Lewis said, It is Christ Himself... Not the Bible, who is the true word of God. The Bible read in the right spirit with the guidance of good teachers will bring us to Christ himself. So, we see Jesus even redefining, even redefining um, the scriptures and what the Pharisees believed about him when he comes on the scene. Um, there's a, no one when he says, I'll bind up the brokenhearted. If you actually read, and I've come to, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted to declare the, the, the day of the Lord to, to set the captives free. And you know, if you actually read in the original Psalms, it says, and to declare the day of the Lord's vengeance. But you know, Jesus actually leaves it out when he stands up and preaches. Because he's actually redefining who God is. And this can be tricky with our thinking because we've read it somewhere in the scriptures, but Jesus is, is now redefining who God is. And we see also Jesus coming on the scene and saying, um, um, You've heard it said, but now I say. So we once again see him redefining who people think God is. He, when he comes on the scene, he says, No one knows the Father, but I've come to reveal him. He's saying that to the Pharisees who had the scriptures, who had what Moses said. But here's Jesus on the scene saying, No one knows the Father. He's like this moment on the scene when God fully reveals himself. So, um, he also says, you think you'll find me in the scriptures, but here I am in front of me, and you're missing me. <laughs> it's quite a challenge for us, isn't it? So, my journey of, of reading the Bible, which I love, has actually been one of, of understanding that the Bible 
is the record of journal document journal I'm sorry this the Bible is the record of journal document documenting Hebrew thinking about God culminating in Jesus as the divine logos made flesh so we need to understand that the scriptures are a progression of Jesus being revealed slowly and slowly and slowly it's Hebrew thinking trying to understand and pen who God is. It's, it's, it's psalmists writing down their deepest thought, their struggles, trying to understand who God is. Slowly, 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 moving on, moving on, until boom, the divine logos comes on the scene and fully reveals who the Father is. So it's so dangerous for us to plow back into the Old Testament and try and pull out who we think God is. Understand how dangerous that can be. We can read it completely out of context. The scriptures, this is where you might look at me like this. <laughs> the scriptures are not equally inspired or from the same level on, of consciousness. Literal interpretation of scripture is the Achilles heel of fundamental Christian, fundamental Christianity. It's the Achilles heel because you look at it and it starts to contradict Jesus, but because there's actually a progression of the revelation of Christ coming through until Jesus comes on the scene. It's like the light bursts out. It's what's been on the tip of the Father's tongue, and He can communicate exactly who the Son is and exactly who the Father is. Um, I really, I really wanted to, I really want to want to say that because. We can become so confused about who the Father is when we read the Bible. And I'm not saying don't love your Bible, but read it with context. Because it's all pointing to Jesus and the revelation of the Father. So, I say that because it can sometimes get in a way of understanding Jesus and Jesus helps us to understand the Father. So, Hope that doesn't freak any of you out. It's alright. It's no, no, bro. Alright. Okay. Good. Cool. So, two things I've said so far. The nature of God. Um, Godness essence is love. Um, Jesus is the icon which perfectly reveals the Father. When you look to Him, you see who God is. So what I want to just do this morning is, is in the light of these two, two things, um, re-examine, re-examine the cross and um, ask ourselves some questions about what we formerly believed about the cross and what we now can come into understanding once we look at the cross. Um, this has been a long journey for me in changing my views about what happened at the cross. And um, I'm hoping maybe some of the things I share will be uh, maybe some questions that have been stirring in your own heart. And some questions you've had. God doesn't mind your questions. It's okay. Your questions can come to new answers. And those new answers are new places to live in, in the Lord. So, He's not scared of the questions. And... Um, Many of you would have grown up in a probably a um, a Western evangelical stream church where there would have been a very uh, one-dimensional way of understanding the cross, 
and um, that's the stream you paddled in, and that's the way you, you sort. But um, yeah, I wanted to share a view of the atonement and a view of the cross, which has really been helping me understand the nature of God and fitting into what I've said so far. Um, so for many of us, we would have grown up in a, a atonement theory of what we call penal substitutionary atonement, which um, basically is, if I can explain it, um, the Father is just holy righteousness, and He cannot look on sin because He's perfect and pure. Um, Jesus is love. So the two attributes of God, one there, one there, at the cross they meet. God, instead of punishing us, punishes Jesus. His wrath is appeased, and now we have access back to God. You heard that? Maybe that's what you thought. Um, if we if we think about that in 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 what I've been saying so far, we've we've got we've got an initial problem because we've said God is love, God is holy, God is just, and we've we've put them next to each other instead of letting them flow through um, flow through the one, and um, we get to we get to a a problem here where we actually uh, split the Trinity. Because Jesus is one way, but the Father is another way. Is that making, making sense? Because God is a certain way, and Jesus is a certain way. So Jesus reveals the one part of God, but God's the other way. So we've got a split in the Trinity, which is not what we've been discussing, because God is just like Jesus. So, um, if we can read 2 Corinthians 5.19, which is... Um, Beautiful scripture. Um, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.19 Unfortunately, what I realized in my own theology, which was going on, was I was actually interpreting the scripture like this. For God was outside Christ, punishing him, reconciling himself back to the world. Not counting people's sins against them if they would believe. And he has given us this good and bad news for mankind to be potentially reconciled. Have you thought about that? I'll read that again. For God was outside Christ, punishing him, reconciling himself back to the world, not counting people's sins against them if they believe. And he's given us this good and bad news for mankind for potential reconciliation. That's actually what I was believing. But we see something completely different actually in the scripture. God was in Christ for starters. Um, reconciling the world to himself. God did not need to be reconciled back to the world as if he had changed his mind about humanity. And Jesus is the one who comes and... <coughs> Produces the capital to change them back towards us. If we if we understand if we understand the problem there, this is deeply traumatic to our souls, which is the original issue with Adam and Eve that they lost the revelation of their sonship and daughtership. If we still believe 
that our sin offended the Father and turned away from us, we are continuing to push into the deep pain of our isolation from the Father. So, it's a very dangerous thought to think that Jesus was reconciling God back to us. And the scripture says he was reconciling us back to him. The issue was never with God. The issue was with us. We were sick. He doesn't change. There's a consistency of the Father towards us that we never offended him. It's very dangerous when we start to think and understand that I offended God and he, he's too holy and just to look at me. But yet Jesus can come and be fine with us yet the Father can't. We've split the Trinity. For God was outside for God was outside Christ punishing him, reconciling himself back to the world, not counting people's sins against them if they believe. The scripture says God is not counting people's sins against them. This is the this is the radical good news that you can go up to anyone in the streets right now, believe or non-believe, and say, God is not counting your sins against you. He declares you innocent. Radical good news. Radical truth of his initiative to forgive man's sins. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, if we don't believe that, um, we've got some problems because we, we, we believe that God's forgiveness is purchased, not freely given. God just forgives. He doesn't need the divine reign of Jesus to change his mind to suddenly forgive us. He actually just forgives you because he loves you. The gospel invites us to participate in God's forgiveness, not to ask for it. Radical as well. The gospel declares God's forgiveness. It doesn't say if you believe, God will forgive you. You can't exchange your faith for God's forgiveness. Going back into works. He declares his forgiveness for mankind. Jesus did not shed his blood to buy back God's forgiveness. Jesus shed his blood to embody God's forgiveness. Do you see the blood of Jesus communicates the Father's forgiveness? Someone buys back the angry and just Father so that he can now forgive us. But then we read in Hebrews, does it not say for the law says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness? Once again, Jesus redefines it for the law says. That's what the law said. But he's come to redefine it. Forgiveness does not need sacrifice. Forgiveness by its own definition is free. That's really, really good news. It's really, really good news. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against him. And he's given us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So when we communicate the gospel, it's not this, and he's given us the good and bad news for mankind of potential reconciliation. Now God reconciled the entire world back to himself. Now there's a big difference between reconciliation and redemption. Redemption is when I lay hold of the reconciliation that is mine in God, in Christ. Your forgiveness your, your innocence before God, that is when redemption works through you. So God has done everything He can to reconcile man. So man's, man stands before God acquitted. 
But redemption is when I lay hold of it. So as a church, we have the message of reconciliation. To bring people into redemption. When redemption operates, it brings the fruits of everything God has done. But we're not communicating a good and bad news here. That if you do that, God will be for you. If you do that, God will forgive you. If you do that, God will not count his sins against you. If you do that, God will turn back towards you. God will turn his favor back towards you. God will love you again. It's so important we see that because the nature of God in his essence is one directional and he doesn't change. This is the stability of the gospel that it brings us. God does not change. He's never changed. Our sin didn't change. Isn't that good news? Your sin didn't change the Father. It's really, really good news. You didn't offend Him. He's not so uh, trite that He gets offended by what you've done. His consistency is towards you. And so when we understand the cross, it's about Him coming to heal, Him coming to save. It's His motion. It's His love. Making sense? Cool. It's a quite theological concept that I can't to explain, but I'm hoping um, I'm keep going. Good. Um, so you might say to me, Gaz, what about God's justice? Does this not make sense that you're saying God is not offended by sin? What about His, his justice? And um, once again, I want to go back to that original thing I said to you, that his, his, his justice is not separate to His love. His justice and His love go together. And um, it's taken me a long journey to see this, but I don't know if uh, you remember the Oscar Pistorius trial. And um, there was a brilliant moment where at the end of the trial, the judge stood up and was about to um, read out Oscar's verdict and the judge is there for justice and um, it was very interesting what the judge said he said there were three components there were three components that I needed to consider when bringing around this, this, this judgment on Oscar firstly Reva must be have her rights restored and that she must be looked after justice must be done for Reva Secondly, justice must be done for South Africa in that what's true must be communicated and there must be a standard that's made. So Reva must be justified, South Africa must be justified. But then she said thirdly, justice must be done for Oscar. What is good for him? Isn't that amazing? True justice has restorative inclination towards us. It doesn't neglect the person who is the offender. So this is where we can see that God's love is not separate from His justice. He doesn't depart from His love when He serves justice. Because His justice is also about you. The judge's justice was still about Oscar. What is good for Oscar? He needs to go to prison, but what is good for him? Because while he's there, he needs to think about his life. So we understand that in the heart of God is, is not a punitive sense of justice, but a restorative sense of justice. God's heart remains for mankind. He's not suddenly 
um, split and that he's just and he's love. Do you understand what I'm saying there? A sense of justice in the Trinity does not separate the Godhead from the essence of love. It's also deeply healing to our souls to understand that God's justice is still for me. It wasn't against me. Um, when we see that about His justice, we also have our God's holiness, which can be redefined. We've often thought God is holy. But when we start to understand this about the Father, His holiness is your source of healing, not your punishment. I'll say that again. God's holiness is the source of your healing, not your punishment. We thought God is holy, therefore He punishes. But actually His holiness is the source of that He wants to heal you. God is not bound to punish sin. He is bound to destroy sin. That's God's justice. Primarily, God is not bound to punish sin. He is bound to destroy sin. Christ does not save us from us. Christ save Christ save us from our sin, not from the punishment of sin. Are those ones making sense? I really want to. I really want to paint a picture of the consistency of the Father. That everything He's done, the atonement, the cross, He never changed. He came forward in His initiative to change us, and there was nothing dark in His nature about what happened. Um, so bring this back to a conclusion. The gospel is not a, a not a legal case. Not a legal case. It is a family plea. We are acquitted of a case with both our minds that made us think we were enemies of God. Colossians said, you were enemies in your minds. You weren't God's enemy. God was never your enemy. You were enemy in your mind. We've said, we preached a message which said, um, our sin made us at enmity with God as if we were enemies. As if God was suddenly against us. But we were enemies in our minds. Whether we are a prodigal or an older brother, the call is to come back to the Father's embrace, to enjoy His house and realize that all He has ever wanted for us was to live out our true identity as beloved sons and daughters. We are made by love for love. Many see sin as the great offense toward God, great offense toward God that He takes very personally and vindictively holds against man until His justice is satisfied. This is a first a total misunderstanding of God's character, as if he can be offended, and secondly, as if he has a choice to love or not to love based on some condition. Love is not what God does, but who he is and who he has always been. Forgiveness flows naturally out of his love. The crucifixion is not what God inflicts upon Christ in order that he can forgive us. It is actually what God endures in Christ as he forgives. Say that again. The crucifixion is not what God inflicts upon Christ in order that He can forgive us. It is actually what God endures in Christ as He forgives. Jesus wasn't trying to convince the Father to do something He was not inclined to do when He said, Father, forgive Him. Jesus was fully expressing the Father. Such good news. Jesus on the cross is expressing the Father's forgiveness. He's not asking Him to forgive. If you're a parent and your kid has stolen some money and they come up to you 
and they're about to make a confession. When, when do you forgive your child? When they make the confession? Or does your heart of love already love the child? And when they come and make the confession, you say, I'm so glad you made your confession because now you can be free. And our, our relationship is reconciled. But God's forgiveness isn't issued when the confession comes. It's issued before. Because love freely forgives. He's always loved. He's always forgiven. So Jesus on the cross is expressing the Father. It's very important for us to understand that, that a big part of the cross is the definite revelation of the Father. It's, it's tearing open and revealing something about God. It's not where God has changed back towards us. It's the pulling back of the curtain about who He is. It's a definite revelation. reconciling the water to himself, not imputing their trespasses against him. What love is this? It must be the question that overwhelms our heart into faith. So, to your question here, actually, I had something here. Um, so this is obviously quite controversial, and we're all going to be on a journey of understanding um, what does it mean that people are lost, what is heaven, what is hell, what are these, what are these questions <coughs> When we start to get a revelation of this, this love, this consistency, this Father who doesn't change, suddenly these, um, the Bible talks about hell, judgment, these things don't change, but the lens through which we see it changes. So I'm certainly not someone who's thrown them out of the window, but there's definitely um, a new lens to which we can see it through the consistency of the Father. Um, so let me just share this with you. Um, this is cool because actually I've written something about this. Um, the early church father, John Christodom, said this. It is not God who is hostile, but we. We are hostile. God is never hostile. St. Anthony said of God this. He is good and he only bestows blessings and never does harm. Thus to say that God turns away from the wicked is like saying that the sun hides itself from the blind. I'll read that again. To say, to say that God turns away from the wicked is like saying that the sun hides itself from the blind. No, the sun just shines. But the blind are the blind. The blind are the problem, not the sun. The sun keeps shining. As sinners, we are sinners in the, land, in the hands of a loving God. God has a single disposition towards sinners that of unconditional, unwavering love. From the heart of God there flows an eternal river of fire, the fire of unquenchable love. 
The question is not whether God loves us, but how we respond to God's love. To those who respond to God's love with love, we love because He first loved us. The river of fire is a source of warmth and light. But to those who refuse this love, this river of fire produces torment. Alright. Our God is a consuming fire. So, my shift in my thinking is that to be outside the kingdom, to be unredeemed, is not to have God against you, but is to be completely wrongly positioned and wrongly set up to the love of God. It is to be incapable, actually, of being in the love of God because you don't know what to do there. The, the, we need to be trained to be in the love of God. But what I... The scriptures are very clear about being outside of the kingdom. It says in Revelation, those outside of the kingdom. But what I understand about the Father and what I understand about the cross is that outside of the kingdom is not punishment because Jesus declares mankind's innocence at the cross and he declares mankind's forgiveness. So outside of the kingdom is not punishment. It's also not separation. Because David even wrote, if I go down to hell and lay my head there, there you are with me. So, the reconciliation that that was won at the cross was to turn mankind completely back to God and remove everything that stood in their way. No separation, no sense of punishment. The Father's consistency of love, the Father's consistency of forgiveness, declared now fully available, you are reconciled. Be reconciled, not become reconciled. Be what I have done. When I can be reconciled, I am redeemed. And I'm able to enter into the kingdom and walk in the truth of my reconciliation. But for those who don't respond to the initiative of God, you stand positioned outside of reconciliation. And you stand in a position of being unredeemed. That doesn't change God's disposition towards you. So in his heart... Is still one of, of love, but it, for me, understanding judgment and hell now is that they are the way you interpret the love of God. Um, time, oh, we're time of the essence. Is that helping your question? It is sort of, I think I was thinking when we died, it's the end of the story. Yeah. God doesn't see us, doesn't look through a pipe through time, because God sees me going through the pipe. Thanks for asking questions. And like this is um, evangelical suicide, these questions you're asking right now. <laughs> and um, I think it's cool that you get to ask them. We've, we've, there are a lot of churches we're not even allowed to ask that. And um, I'll wrap it up. I think um, the questions are valid because once again they point us towards what is God like? What is He like? What does mercy look like? What does inclusiveness look like? Am I more inclusive than God? Am I more, am I more forgiving than God? And um, I think we, we come to a landing where we see the cross, we see Jesus, we see the moment where things are fully revealed, and we're like, that's what God like. That's what God is. That's what God is like. And I build my life on those things. The other questions 
can fall gently around that truth. And we don't have to dogmatically hold on to them like, this is exactly what I believe, but we can live in a mystery of how those things work. But we can stand on the surety of who the Father is. And we can, we, there can be a mystery around some of those harder questions. Um, for me, God's brought me to a really beautiful place where those questions don't influence who I see God as and what He's done for me. They don't bring me into attention anymore. I know who God is. I know what He's like. He can work out the details. There's a consistency to who He is. Um, I got through that. Does it make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I hope it makes sense. I really... Um, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very stirred to communicate who the Father is. It's like, it's something that's just on my life. And I really, I get frustrated when He's poorly communicated. And, and who He is, is not made known. And um, I think it's, it's His longing for us to see clearly who He is in His nature. And for us to really be healed and to be nurtured by His Gospel. And um, I hope some of those things helped you this morning. I hope that challenged you. And I hope that um, you can go away and have your own personal Gospel shifted and evolved. And bring your questions to God. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of questions. That will come up now. Please come free to ask me. There's challenging scriptures. There's a whole bunch of stuff. You're going to maybe, if you're sensing in your heart, wow, is this true? Is this true? Is he like this? Is he this good? What about that? What about that? What about that? What about that? What about my mind? It's like the heart catches a lot, but the mind struggles so much. I'd love to discuss with you and we can look at the scriptures. There's a whole bunch of stuff to go through. Cool. Let's stand.